It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 4, Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. We're now two weeks into a new year and what you've heard from the government about issues relating to climate change, you could write on the back of a goldfish. Let's try and do the job for them. Our man banging his head against an easel with a picture of Rishi Sunak on it is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist Dale Vince. It's pretty woeful, Dale, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's worse than woeful, really, because all we really have had are, are backward steps, like, you know, the opening of a freaking coal mine, for example. You know, that's what we yeah. get from this lot, not actual forward action, just a bit of backward stuff. You might think, bearing in mind, we've seen a lot of parties play to different corners of the room. Um, you know, there's a little nod over there to the people who like a bit of fracking, don't upset them fully, a nod over there for those who hate it. You might think they would play, a, even by their own standards, play a bit of a longer game and go, well, you know, we might as well at least pretend we're doing something. They're <laughs> not even pretending. <laughs> Listen, this is a government on death row. You can't play a long game when you're there. Yeah. That's very true, isn't it? Which which kind of brings us almost to our first point, really. We would be failing to to not mention this because, I mean, there could – all the predictions say there could be a Labour government. And if there is a Labour government at the next election, it will be thanks to you, Dale, because <laughs> you have propped them up single-handedly. Almost. Allegedly. Yeah, along with Just Stop Oil. I mean, that's the big story here, isn't it? Yeah, well, they, yeah, I mean, a lot of the newspapers picked up on this, didn't they? You know, Dale Vince, as uh, you know, he's, he's bankrolling Keir Starmer and the Labour Party, and he's also throwing a few quid into Just Stop Oil. I mean, we're not North Korea. As far as I last looked, you are allowed to donate wherever the hell you like. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to say about this story. I've spent all week on the media, actually, uh, talking to newspapers, uh, doing Sky TV, GB News, talk radio, all kinds of stuff. And this, the thing they're all interested in is the single fact that I've donated to the Labour Party and to Just Stop Oil. And honestly, I think it's an enormous fuss over nothing. They're trying to claim that Keir Starmer's a hypocrite, which is a silly thing to say because he hasn't taken money from Just Stop Oil. And even if he did, I think it's possible to take money from somebody and disagree with them at the same time. And he simply disagrees with the extreme end of the disruption tactics. And I understand that. Lots of people do. So I'm saying to all these media types, look, what's the big deal? I mean, it's the right-wing press getting their knickers in a twist because they finally think they've got something to bash Keir Starmer with on the subject of funding, which the Tories obviously traditionally lead by a country mile. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if he's used his 20 grand to shin up a gantry, is it, and start, you know, smashing windows at the local bank? Well, yeah. And, and it's not as if, as I say, that, you know, he's taken money from Just Stop Oil and then said he disagrees with some of their tactics. I think disagreeing yeah. with some of their tactics is perfectly fair. I do it as well. That's what I've been telling people. But look, I saw this other story today. Over the last 10 years, 22 Tory donors who between them have given £54 million to the Tory party have been made peers in the House of Lords. This is a cash 
for peerage scandal. No, that's a coincidence, Dale. They're <laughs> very good operators. <laughs> They're good politicians, and that you're very cynical about this. They're just nice, ermine-clad guys. Fifty-four million pounds. By comparison, this story, right? I've given yeah. a few tens of thousands to Just Stop Oil and a couple of hundreds of thousands to Labour. By comparison, this is nothing. Yeah, that's true enough. Um, in terms of a lot of people listening to this will will be interested into your reasons because what I found interesting about the Labour Party is they are obviously make more noise about environmental issues. But there is a wing of the Labour Party, perhaps more so on the left, and maybe verging into elements of the Green Party, who who believe Keir Starmer has been woeful in this department. He's not saying anywhere near enough. Now, with that in mind, what do you consider about that? Because I know you'd like to see him go further. How do you kind of square that circle? That you know, it's not a guy. He's exactly singing from Greta Thunberg's hymn sheet. <laughs> well, look, I just don't see an issue here. I think Labour are head and shoulders above the Conservative Party when it comes to green policy and the extent to which they genuinely get the fact that we need to do something about the climate crisis, that we need to move to a green economy. It's the only real option that we have. And yeah, Keir Starmer gets criticism from the left and from the right, but I guess you know that comes with the territory. Yeah. And like I've been telling the uh, the media all week, right? You have to you have to find a best fit. If you're voting in the general election, you won't find a party that you agree with completely in terms of what they plan to do or what they have done. You just vote for a best fit, right? Labour's my absolute best fit. They stand for social justice and the green economy. That's enough for me. Yeah. So even if there were things in the Green Party that you agreed with more, you, you're realist enough to know that they're probably not going to get elected. So therefore, it wouldn't be the best fit. I think they're nailed on not to get elected, right? Only one of two parties can win under our current system, Labour or the Tories. And there's a huge disparity of funding. The Tories outspend every party put together at general elections. And so giving Labour some cash is a way to try and do something about that imbalance. I I bumped into Gearstarmer the other day, funnily enough. (laughs) I was uh, Yes, I was waiting for a lift in my building. And there was a guy standing, two people standing behind me. And I looked around. And this is always funny when it's because, you know, having met and interviewed most high profile politicians over the years, oddly, I've never met Keir Starmer. And when I used to be in the press gallery at Westminster, he wasn't there at that time. So I'd never actually even seen Keir Starmer. So I looked around and I thought it was somebody who looked like Keir Starmer <laughs> rather than it being Keir. And he had his head to the side of me. So it was this side kind of angle of his face. And he was wearing trainers as well. Suit, but trainers. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I assumed it wasn't Keir Starmer until I heard him speak when he said, how long does this f***ing lift take? <laughs> and then I think I might have added the profanity. But, oh, and then I thought, oh, that is Keir. Yes, that is Keir. So arguably the next prime minister. You feel confident in his stewardship of the party and his the noises he's making them yeah well look here's the thing as well right here's a question that i have asked of sky on social media we've just had 13 years of conservative rule littered with examples of scandals funding scandals enrichment of cronies and donor scandals through ppa i mean you name it why only now with labor flying in the polls and looking set to be the next government are they suddenly interested in party funding so that they've done three months' work to produce yeah. this widget, which I think is brilliant and shines a light on funding? Why now, Sky? Right? Why, where have you been the last 13 years? Fair point, isn't it, really? Mm. Veronica on Twitter uh, says, Labour should return your donation immediately. <laughs> Wrong, 
it's wrong for people like you to try and influence politics. People like me. Uh, people like me. People like you, Dale Vince. <laughs> you lot. Yeah, I'm not trying to influence politics. I'm trying to help the Labour Party do whatever it is the Labour Party are going to do. I never yeah. ask for anything. I don't try to influence them. I share my ideas with them, but I've shared them also with George Eustace, who I think we're going to talk about in a minute, and and with the Lib Dems as well. You know, the ideas that we develop here for the green economy, we share with everybody, including Labour. Yeah, indeed. Here's one. Activists sue Danon over plastic usage. It's interesting. I wondered when something like this would happen. I'm sure there's been other cases somewhere, but this is really, you know, it's a, it's a very simple case. It's about you know, big companies, this case, a, a French food company who have a horrendous plastic footprint. Yeah, well, at the root of this case is an amazing piece of French law that obliges companies like Danone or however you pronounce it. I don't actually Did know. Did I say it wrong? Is it, I I say don't Danone? Know. No, you might be right. Danone. I might be wrong. Danone. Danone. Uh, it could be like that. Yeah. But it obliges them to actually produce a risk assessment for people, like people trafficking and that kind of stuff, modern slavery, but also for environment risk. And the the crux of the case is that Client Earth and others are saying that Danone, Danone, whatever they are, um, actually have left plastics out of their risk assessment, which is a huge thing. They use 750, I don't know, was it a million tons a year or something? Um, it's a huge thing, a big emission. That's the crux of it. Brilliant new French law. And they seem to have missed the obvious, which is list your plastic consumption and the risk from that and do something about it. How the hell would you miss that? I mean, <laughs> if, if you are yeah. a big company like that, I mean, you're sitting there with your tick list. Have we done everything? Have we adhered to the law? You've got, you know, one would assume a fairly impressive team of legal people that make sure your packaging says all the right stuff and all you know, ingredients and, and, and the like. And they miss this out. I'm sniffing bullshit here on their part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I they've think been they caught know out. They miss this out. Yeah, I think they've been caught out, and they're just kind of uh, blustering a little bit. I mean, the one thing they did say I thought was relevant: they believe there should be an international agreement for companies under the UN to to start to deal with plastic waste, the whole supply chain of it, not just what happens at the end of life for plastic. And I mean, they're not wrong about that. One company can't solve the problem, but that's not a defence to not complying with French law and having a proper risk assessment of their own plastic consumption. Absolutely right. I think we should talk about the weather, really. Uh, the weather has been, to put it mildly and politely, a bit bonkers in the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> Not mild. It's, <laughs> it has, of course. There's all sorts of implications, the obvious one being the environment, etc. But there are massive financial ones as well. I noticed, Dale, over in the US, uh, extreme weather, and it's been horrifically. You know, when places like Florida say it's bloody cold, then you know something's gone wrong. It cost the U.S. $165 billion last year, extreme weather. What, what I loved about this, actually, was that the, uh, the institute that put this report out, they, they have this great name, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. I mean, that's okay, but the acronym is NOAA. And I love that, you know, it's like, I'm thinking of floods. <laughs> did they, did and... they know that? They must have done <laughs> No idea. But, you know, it should be no laughing matter, but, you, but, but I'm laughing, right, because... Uh, I honestly, I think the worst things get, and particularly when, when they're monetized, when these events are monetized, and I think it yeah. gets the attention of governments and big business, insurance companies especially, and then something's going to get done, $165 billion in one year. I mean, blimey. 
the whinging you hear in the media in our country about the cost of moving to renewable energy and, and, and stuff like that. You get it in the US as well. I mean, 165 billion is just thrown away because we haven't got to grips with the climate crisis. Yeah, and we're talking storms, floods, wildfires, droughts, etc. I mean, the list is, you know, pretty impressive in that respect. And you might think that would be somewhat of a wake up call somewhere along the line. Look, that's right. And in other weather-related news, I've seen another report which says that we're having relentless uh, drought in California and extreme rainfall in the UK and, uh, you know, the most severe weather events uh, in the world of the last few years made more likely by the climate crisis. There's, there's no lack of stories about the weather at the moment. One good story, which I really did like, was that the Earth's ozone layer is on course to be healed within decades. And you might remember from decades ago, it was the big environment cause celeb, you know, that we had an ozone yeah. hole and we had to ban some hideous chemicals. I thought that thing chemicals. had fixed itself. Well, it's nearly, <laughs> nearly, right? I think that stuff moves slowly, but it's nearly fixed, <laughs> which is sure. great news. Great news. Yeah. That was all about the aerosols, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, HFCs, I think, as well. I mean, you get HFCs, them in, yeah. uh, you know, you get them in air conditioning and stuff like that as well. Carla on Twitter says, how do you keep your patience with people like Nigel Farage and Mike Graham? You've appeared on both of these programs in the last week. Um mm. Well, let's talk us through it then. I mean, you, you've, well, yeah. you've previously met with. We'll come on to Mike Graham in a second because he's kind of. We we both know him, but Nigel Farage. We we said I think on the last episode that he is one of those guys that when you're not there, he talks a good talk, and when you are there, he kind of doesn't say much to you. Was that the same this time? <laughs> I would say it was actually, uh, but he made his points. You know, he's skeptical about renewable energy. He thinks nuclear might be the answer. He made his points, but he let me talk, and he let me talk to him and to his audience. I, I find him an easy conversation. Maybe it's because he doesn't challenge me like he does other people, and and some people think that's because he doesn't want to get into a, an argument that he might lose on the facts. I have no idea. I just find him a decent guy to talk to, and I mean, he rounded off his show this Monday night by saying that actually he's all for cheap energy, and if renewables is the answer, then he's all for it, and and that for me sums up really this whole opportunity because I think he's not a bad person. He's just got bad facts. And why is that? That why? I mean, in a way, it would be nice to think there wasn't a link to people's other politics with this. It's interesting that people of that flavor of right-wing politics, and again, it's a democracy, you can believe what the hell you like, and there is a support base for Nigel Farage. But that support base, along with Nigel and others, will invariably be very skeptical about things like renewables. I've never quite understood why one feeds into the other. You could create an intelligent argument that would suggest it would be very much the opposite because that level of right-wing politics, economically speaking as well, would sniff something that would work, something that's new, something that could be developed, something that could be exploited as a business. You might think that's the very group that would actually say, you know what, we need to follow this up. And do you know what? I do think that, which is why I do engage with him and Mike Graham and any any old right-wing channel that cares to get in touch, actually, because uh, I do believe that if we can cut through the the myths that they're surrounded by, that they've taken to be, uh, you know, kind of God-given truths, mm. uh, for example, as Farage will say, but everybody knows that we don't have enough renewable energy, so I'll offer him a fact. And we can't rely 100% on it. I'll offer him another fact. Um, you know, if we can cut through these myths uh, and get to a more factual understanding then i think we can get people like him on board and he's a he's a powerful influential character amongst a certain audience of people in our country who we do need on board to make absolutely this yeah I, I just wonder where that kind of level of you know you throw a fact in there and say actually no we have got this we could do this 
were just deciding not to. Again, I wonder why that that group would not embrace that and welcome that and adopt it and be selling it from the rafters. <laughs> I, I think it's about uh, getting them to believe it. So he said to me in the interview that he's still a bit skeptical. Uh, he talked about how much money it would cost to to get to 100% green on the grid, for example. And I said, look, the government is spending £50 billion to suppress energy bills for about 12 months. That's money thrown away. For the same sum of money, £50 billion, we could build all the wind and sun projects that we need to get to 100% green on the grid. Surely that's actually a better way to spend 50 billion quid. You can't actually argue with that. The challenge is to get them to, to believe it. Uh, let's talk about bird flu here. I, I wasn't really expecting to see this story um, quite in, in, in such a graphic way. We know that bird flu has been around and there's been a huge issue around it. We've talked about it on the program before as well. Uh, but bird flu now has pandemic potential. That's a worrying headline. Yeah. And so this story is about the 300 million birds in bird farms that have already been killed and you know thrown away because they're infected with this flu. And the 63 bird species that it's already crossed over to... Um, about uh, about three other uh, mammals as far as far as I can read it and and the the fear is that as this virus spreads amongst birds and now some seals and and some other creatures that it could mutate that it could eventually spread to humans and then become spreadable amongst humans and the 1918 uh, so-called Spanish flu was actually bird related and killed 50 million people globally and so the big fear here is that this bird flu right now is out of control and it could morph into a human flu and be like the uh, 1918 pandemic yeah well, I mean, that's the last thing anybody wants, right? <laughs> I think I speak on behalf of every citizen here. <laughs> I think you do, right? But look, once again, factory farming is at the root of this. Factory farming was at the root of uh, coronavirus as well, and some some 30 uh, or so zoonotic viruses that, that yes. cross the threshold from animals to humans. Three quarters of all of the ones that we know of, about 40 in the world, come from factory farming. Yeah, We have to give it up before it gives us up. Uh, if, well, indeed. Hannah on Facebook says, do weeks like this make you wonder why you bother? I don't know what, what specifically Hannah is referring to there. Would that be the, I don't know, the Farage interview? <laughs> I, I imagine it's the uh, the attacks from the right-wing media over the fact that uh, I spend or give money to Labour and to Just Stop Oil. But as I was pointing out, also I've given money to Greenpeace, to Extinction Rebellion, to the Lib Dems, to the Green Party, to a women's refuge in Stroud just a couple of weeks ago. I told all of this to Sky, but it kind of fell off the story. Yeah. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder why it did. But no, Eric, to answer the question, no, it's fine. Listen, I'm more than up for it. I get the chance to to speak. I just did something with Sky just now. There's a, uh, The Sky Big Debate goes out tonight uh, with Trevor Phillips, and, and I just got to raise the issue of actual general election funding. Why don't we make it public? It could be done for just 100 million quid, which is honestly peanuts in comparison to everything else, particularly when it comes to choosing the right government. I mean, Liz Truss cost us 30 billion in her tragic short term in number 10 100 million against that is actual peanuts to get the job done properly and to clean up politics so this is giving me a bit of a platform so i'm up for it yeah but come on list trust was good though that's the bit we're forgetting <laughs> that's what mike graham said he said she had a great plan she just didn't explain it properly <laughs> like did she have a great plan or didn't explain it? i'm not so sure that you know it's not like you don't have advisors around you is it when you do that job i mean there's people you know a top economist lawyers that would, from what everything I can gather now, a lot of people around her did go, you know, this won't work, mate. Uh, she, she plowed on regardless. I don't know what corner of the room she was playing to at that point. Uh, let's talk bees, Dale. 
So global pollinator losses, like this is the decline of bee populations globally, are reckoned to be causing half a million early deaths a year uh, around the world, which is just incredible. You know, it's not just any more about insects, it's about people. And this is apparently down to the, the decline in the growth of healthy foods like, uh, like fruit and vegetables because we don't have enough bees around the place. Another really kind of shocking impact of, of the way that we live, you know, with, with the modern chemicals that we're spraying everywhere and, and just, you know, decimating bee populations is not so much a climate-related story as a humans-behaving-badly story. It's kind of strange, isn't it? There's, there's nobody who doesn't like a bee, for goodness sake. I mean, the <laughs> idea that there are fewer of them and it, it could have this kind of devastating effect should concern people. But that's the sort of story that doesn't get a lot of headlines. You think it would be massive. And I mean, the, the main chemical culprit for this, uh, I think the short form name is Neonix, uh, have been banned by the EU. Uh, but the, the UK, bless us, have stood against that ban. And, and I've got a feeling the Tory government have proposed to bring those substances back into use in Britain or, or to continue to allow them rather than have the ban. I mean, you know, these are chemicals well proven to decimate bee populations. And, you know, you just got to file it in that uh, in that category of WTF, uh, are this government really up to? Do, do they live on the same planet yeah fair point uh final question from james who says any updates on your water purification system keen to hear when it might launch as i'm involved in a charity providing clean water to the sub-saharan belt Oh, cool. Well, look, I think there's a real role for what we've created actually in those parts of the world. It, it can deal with the twin problems of, of sanitation and water provision by turning one of them into the other one, right? Uh, poo and we into drinking water. That's the beauty of it. So we've got a currently domestic scale device, about one cubic meter, going through testing for some kind of global certification, which would mean it could be used anywhere in the world. Uh, we can foresee building container-sized versions of these to drop into disaster relief and, and developing world uh, problem areas for sanitation and water provision. Um, and you know, increasingly, we can see the droughts in California. We could have droughts in Britain next year, apparently, although I think whoever said that probably didn't factor in the monsoon we've had for the last week. Maybe that'll solve that problem. But, you know, we're, we're not traditionally a dry country, but we're on the verge of droughts. So the climate crisis is doing this. Water is going to be a big issue. So we're really positive about this thing. It'll fly through certification for sure. We've been testing it for years. And, uh, and then we'll crack on and uh, roll it out. Perfect. Uh, Dale, that's it. We'll speak the same time next week. Well, actually not quite because I won't be here. We'll have to do it a couple of days earlier because I'm off on a train, I should say, to Austria to meet Arnie. Arnie Smithers, that fellow that runs the <laughs> uh, the dog and duck. In the- I'll, I'll be back. I can't even do oh, it. But, you know, so, you're off to, so hang on, tell, tell us what's happening here. What's going on? He's got some kind of climate uh, foundation. Uh, there's some kind of fundraising dinner uh, in Austria next week. And uh, we've donated something quite special. We made a signet ring with a sky diamond in it for him and wow. another one to stick in an auction for somebody to buy to raise funds for the uh, for the foundation. And I'm going to pop over there and this time get to meet him, I reckon. You've never made a signet ring for me, Dale. I, find, I feel very yeah. left out of this equation, to be honest. <laughs> you, need, you need to pump some iron. Sure, I think that's is that what it is. Go to the gym, get a signet ring from Dale. I'll I'll give it a go. Uh, that's going to be brilliant. So we can report back on that as well, and we'll uh, we'll speak next week anyway for the next episode. Good work, yeah, nice one. 
Cheers, Dale. See you later. That is it for this week. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well if you want to get in touch. You can email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk and make sure you follow Dale on social media as well, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on TikTok and on Insta. Zero Carbon East Off.